Well, we are praising God this week for another blessing uh, in, in the presence of the guy who was just reading for us. Um, some of you may remember in February, we invited, uh, at the time, the president of the Union Gospel Mission from Seattle to come down and preach on a, it was February the 4th, I think it was the, what I just remember that. It doesn't matter. But anyway, Jeff Lilly came down, and, uh, and while he was here, we were having some conversation about, uh, you know, I said, that, that was a great message. Do you, do you suppose that God might ever, you know, call you and your wife, Eugenie, to come and serve in the local church? And, you know, maybe specifically in Fullerton. That might be interesting. You know, I, I happen to know a church that would love to invite you here. And, you know, God did exactly that. Over the course of the last several months, um, God, has, God has called us to the lilies, and he's called the lilies to us, and we're really just thankful. Uh, he actually started work on Friday, which was awesome. I, I mean, I wasn't... Uh, I wasn't, I wasn't there on Friday. I, I wasn't working, but I'm assuming he probably did some good stuff. I have no idea. We'll, yeah, we'll guess. It's fine. Well, we are beginning a, a new series this morning that will take us through the summer called The Proverbial Life. And it's a, it's a perfect sort of segue from the series we were in in the book of Hebrews. If you've been with us over the last year as we studied Hebrews verse by verse... One of the things that the writer of the Hebrews kept saying to us again and again is, fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't lose sight of Christ. Like, lock your eyes on him because your view of Christ will have incredible bearing on the way you live your life. And there were multiple warnings in the book of Hebrews to say, hey, let's learn from the people that have come before us. Because the people of Israel, for instance, they they saw God on display, but they didn't ever couple their knowledge of God with action. And when it came time to enter the promised land, they failed to enter the rest of God because even though they knew him, they didn't act in obedience, in reverence and awe based on who he is. And so there was this call for us again and again in the book of Hebrews. It said, hey, it matters how you continue. It matters how you live. And that is a call for us to to follow Christ or to live in obedience, to live a life that responds to the fear of God, which is something we see again and again in the scriptures. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28, it says, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. The call here is not for us to cower before God, but for us to recognize and revere his grandeur and his glory, the superiority of Christ, and then to see ourselves in light of who he is, to see and have a healthy perspective of who we are in relation to the God who created us, and then to live accordingly. That's a life of wisdom. It's the life that people are looking for. And the book of Proverbs will say, the book of Proverbs will say that that life of wisdom begins with a reverence and awe of God. In fact, it says in Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord, a healthy view of who he is, a healthy perspective of who God is, is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom in our lives. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 20, all the way back at the beginning of the Bible, it says, you shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. So we recognize in the scripture there's always been this call for us to see God clearly and then act in accordance with our view of God. And that's what living with wisdom is. The writer to Proverbs, as we're going to see in the course of our study this summer, Solomon, when he's writing the Proverbs and the other people who contributed to that book, were doing so calling us to live lives that are effective, calling us to live lives, even though the word wisdom might be a little muddy for you. The idea of wisdom we'll be talking about this summer is essentially this. It's being able to discern what is best and then to have the strength of character to act in obedience with that knowledge. Let me say it again. 
Wisdom is being able to discern in any circumstance what is best. And by best, here's how we define best. We've got to drill it down a little bit. All of us were created to glorify God. We've been singing about that. At the core of all of us, we were created for a relationship with God, that we would live a life in relationship with him, honoring him with our words and thoughts, our deeds and attitudes, that we would glorify him. So when we're trying to determine what is best, well, the way we, just, we define best is whatever glorifies God most thoroughly and completely. Each and every one of us in every moment of our lives are, are supposed to be trying to honor God. And so in any given moment, you know, a lot of times life sort of gets described with like forks in the road where there are two good options. But if you've been alive for any amount of time, and I know that you have, you know that seldom does life present us with two options. Most of the time, life presents us with thousands of options. And hundreds of those might be good, and hundreds of those might be bad. And for us, it's not a question of choosing which one's good and which one's bad, but rather among the good options put in front of us, which one glorifies God most clearly? Which one is the best? So wisdom is the ability to discern or to understand, to be able to determine what is best in any given search situation, and then to act with the strength of character in light of that knowledge. It's about acting. It's about living an effective life. The word wisdom could also be described as artful living or skillful living or effective living. And I don't know about you, but sometimes living with wisdom is hard. Sometimes knowing what to do is difficult, right? It's hard to to know how to act in light of what I know. Uh, We can gain a lot of information, and the world is sort of designed to give us information. we got all kinds of information at our fingertips with Google and whatever else. But knowing stuff is not the same as living in accordance with what we know. You can know all kinds of information about Bible trivia and about church history. You can know all kinds of things about God and not live in accordance with what you know. I'll give you an illustration of that. My, uh, I have a younger brother. One brother, his name's Danny. He's not going to love that I'm going to tell you this story, but I'm going to tell it anyway because he's not here. Uh, so my brother Danny is five years younger than me, and we grew up around the church, and I, uh, I remember this one Saturday, we were at our church for, a, my mom was at like a women's ministry event thing, and so we're at the church, and they had just built this big gymnasium, it was like a big two-story building, brick building, and uh, outside the gymnasium, they were doing some work in the gardens, like in the planters, they were putting in these full-grown palm trees, right? Now, if you plant a little palm tree and you wait for it to grow, you just dig a tiny little hole, but if you're going to plant a full-grown palm tree, you've got to dig like a pit. So outside of this gymnasium, there are multiple, like these big pits that have been dug right up against the outside wall. So there's like a a brick wall and then a big hole. And me and my friends, we were running and jumping over the hole. You know, like that's what boys do. We jump over holes, right? So we're running and jumping. And my little brother, he comes up, five years younger than me, Danny is his name. And he says, "Uh, that's easy. Anybody could jump over that. That's not even that big of a hole. Anybody could do that. And I was like, oh, really? You think you could jump over that hole? And he's like, I know I could jump over that hole. Now, here's the thing. I knew Danny could jump over the hole, too. Danny has always been more athletic than me. He's in better shape than me. He's just always been, like, a better athlete. So I knew he could do it. He knew he could do it. He's looking at the hole. He's like, that's not a big deal to jump over that size of a hole. Then I said, well, if you're so sure, you know, that you could do it, why don't you prove it? And he's fine, I will. Now, the difference, though, is that my friends and I, we were jumping over the hole uh, parallel with the wall, right? So we're running this way and jumping over the, the hole. My brother goes over there, right? And he lines up, he kind of takes his mark, and he gets ready. He's got perfect form and stance, you know. And then he sprints towards the wall, you know, and we're, and we're like, how's this going to turn out? He runs to the hole. He jumps. He clears the hole, no problem. We knew he could, right? He clears the hole, and he smacks into the wall just like a wily e. Coyote cartoon, right? <laughs> right? And then he just peels off the wall and falls in a pit, Right? 
Now, now here's the deal. This is a good picture of the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Danny knew he could jump over that hole, right? He was confident of what he knew, but it's not about what you know, it's about what you do with what you know. You see the difference? The reality is true for many of us as Christians that we have a lot of information in our heads. We know a lot of stuff about the Bible or about God or even about God's expectation of man. But ultimately, our lives are not going to be a recitation of Bible facts. Our lives are all about living effectively for the glory of God. And so wisdom is important. And that's why from the beginning of the Bible, we see it calling us to fear God and live in accordance with that fear of him. The Bible calls us to care about wisdom. So it makes all the sense in the world that the writer here, Solomon, would write to the youth, that he would write to his sons and say, you have to care about wisdom. I think all of us recognize that the Bible declares certain things about certain issues. It's very clear in the Bible that God, God has said, you know, thou shalt not steal and thou shalt not murder and thou shalt not covet. And we kind of get the things that are very clearly declared and we try and live our lives according to those. Jesus himself says, you know, care for the widow and the orphan. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Those things are easy. It's easy to understand what we're supposed to do in relation to the declarative things of Scripture. But where life gets hard is that there are all kinds of things in our lives, yours and mine, that aren't declared explicitly in Scripture. There are all kinds of things about parenting children and all kinds of things about having a healthy life, having a healthy marriage, about vocation, about future, about saving money, about what we do with the life God has given us that aren't explicitly declared. So what do you do in those situations where the Bible doesn't speak directly to the situation you're in? Well, the answer is you discern what is best. And you have the strength of character to act in obedience with that knowledge. It's all about wisdom. Wisdom is the way that we live lives that honor God in the gaps between the things Scripture has authoritatively declared. Does that make sense? It's the way we figure out how to navigate our life. So the writer here says, my son, care about wisdom. Pay attention to it. Seek after it like treasure. My oldest son, Jack, just graduated from high school on Wednesday. And uh, I know many of you have kids that graduated this week or are graduating in the weeks coming up. It's incredible. It's an incredible accomplishment. But there is a little bit of like terror for a dad too, right? When your son graduates from high school and you think, I... I tried to give him everything I know, right? I tried to give him all the information and all the stuff. We've walked through life together, and I I just hope now that he takes the stuff we've talked about and he, you know, doesn't jump over a hole and bang his head into a wall and fall into a pit, you know, figuratively speaking. I want my son to be able to live with wisdom, but it's going to be about the choices he makes in the light of what he knows. The Bible says that wisdom is good for us. In fact, it says in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 13, blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. Proverbs 24, 13 says, my son, eat honey, for it is good, and the drippings of the honeycomb are sweet to your taste. Know that wisdom is such to your soul. What's that saying? It's saying wisdom is sweet to our soul the way that honey is sweet to our sense of taste. That it's something desirable. That it's something we should be hungry for, anxious to receive. It says, my son, eat honey for it is good and the drippings of the honeycomb are sweet to your taste. Know that wisdom is such to your soul. If you find it, there will be a future and your hope will not be cut off. I wonder if there are some of you in the room this morning who are worried about your future, who've maybe lost your hope or you feel like your hope is starting to flicker. 
You're not sure what to do in this scenario you're in, the situation that's right before you, what to do about your marriage, what to do about your family, what to do about your job, what to do about your house, what to do about who knows what. And maybe that future has started to wane. Maybe that hope has started to flicker. It says here that that wisdom is sweet to our souls and it gives a hope and an understanding of what's ahead. Proverbs chapter eight, verse 32 says, and this is personifying wisdom, so this is in wisdom's voice. It says, and now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life. Right? Whoever finds wisdom finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. There's all kinds of admonition in the scripture for us to desire wisdom. And we understand why Solomon would write that as well. Because Solomon himself, given the choice, chose wisdom, right? Famously, you probably know that story. You've heard mention of it before. But famously, when Solomon became the king, God looked at Solomon and said, hey, ask me for anything you want, right? Tell me what you want, and I'll give it to you, right? I want you to just put yourself in Solomon's shoes for a second. Don't give me the Bible, the Bible answer, the churchy answer, right? If God were to look at you and say, okay, good, pick one thing and I'm going to give it to you, I wonder what your answer would be this morning. I, I think for many of us we'd go, pay off my house, that'd be great, right? Or maybe you'd be a little more selfless and you'd say, I want world peace. God, will you do this for me? Will you do that for me? We, we've all got this long list of things we'd like God to do if he said, I'm going to do one thing for you. God looks at King Solomon and he says, tell me what I can do for you. And this is Solomon's reply. This is in 1 Kings chapter 3, starting in verse 6. Solomon said this, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. You've kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. So give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this your great people? And it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. Solomon is given the opportunity to ask God for anything, and he doesn't go after gold or treasure or military might or power or a bigger castle. Or oh, He says, look, you've put me in this role. You've blessed me with this role, this opportunity, and I feel inadequate. I feel ill-equipped. By the way, when Solomon said these things, he wasn't a little child like we think of a little child. He's not a three-year-old, right? But in perspective, in the role that he's in, the weight that's resting on his shoulders as the king of God's people... He looks at it and he says, what I need more than I need riches or more than I need fame or more than I need power, I need to know how to walk wisely. God, if you would give me one thing, give me understanding to be able to govern your people because I feel like an infant. And how am I supposed to know how to lead your people? I wonder if there are some of you today that if God were to say, hey, what do you want? You might instinctively go, well, I could really use help with my bills or I could really use help with my relationships. But the reality is that for all of us in the room, what we really need is God's wisdom. No matter who you are or what scope or spectrum God has put you into, I I would guarantee you there are times where you feel in over your head, right? Moments where you feel at a loss for what to do or what to say or where to go or how to act, where you feel like a child in your circumstance. 
And so with Solomon, we look at God and say, what we need is for you to bless us with insight, the ability to discern what is best, and then to act with strength of character in accordance to what we know. This idea that we're studying this summer, the proverbial life, is all about learning to live an effective life, to live that artful life, to live a life of discernment. And the Bible says that that's something we should be hungry for. In fact, when you start thinking, well, okay, so how do I do that? If I look at it and I go, okay, well, how, how do I live a life of wisdom? Well, it's interesting because the writer tells us, even in the text we're looking at, Proverbs 2 says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. There's kind of an if-then equation, right? You know what that is? An if-then equation, it says, if this happens, then this will happen. So Solomon says, my son, if, and look at some of the things he says, my son, if you receive my words, treasure up my commandments, make your ear attentive, incline your heart to understanding, if you call out, if you raise your voice, if you seek it, if you search, there's a call for you to do these things to treat wisdom like treasure, to go after it. And he says, if you do those things, then, the then part of the equation, verse five, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He's a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then, there's another then, then you will understand righteousness and justice, equity, and every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you delivering you from the way of evil. Here's one of the things you want to understand this morning is that God isn't withholding wisdom, right? It isn't something that you have to bargain with him for. It's not something that he keeps to himself. It's something he has on offer that he wants us to have. He wants to equip our lives with wisdom and discernment and strength of character and knowledge. God wants to bless us with the ability to act wisely in the gaps between the declarative statements of scripture. He wants to give that to us but we have to seek it. We have to call out for it. We have to search for it. I love uh, in Proverbs 4, 7, talking about how, how you get wise. Proverbs 4, 7 says this. Proverbs 4, 7 says, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Thanks, that's really helpful, right. The beginning of lunch is this, get lunch. Okay, great, I'm gonna try. I shouldn't have brought up lunch. I know that's gonna distract you now, right? We'll get there. We're almost there, we're almost there. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight, prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a, grateful gar- a graceful garland, and she will bestow on you a beautiful crown. I think the first question we have to ask ourselves this morning is, do you value wisdom? Do you value discernment? Do you value insight? Is that something you care about? Because if it's something you care about, you'll drop everything else in pursuit of it. That's the way treasure works, right? In Arizona, where I grew up, they have the, uh, the legend of the lost Dutchman mine. Have you ever heard of that? If you don't live in Phoenix, it's probably not something you care about. But as a kid in Phoenix, we were told that there was this old miner, crusty old miner, who went out in the mountains east of Phoenix, and he had all this gold and treasure, and he went up in the mountains, and he got lost up there, and nobody knows where his treasure is. And every couple of years, you'll hear a story about some knucklehead who gears up and heads off into these mountains looking for the lost Dutchman's gold treasure and ends up dying up there also, right? Like, it didn't work out for the Dutchman. Why do you think it would work out for you, right? 
but they're willing to set everything aside to go in pursuit of wealth, to go in pursuit of the legends. What is it you're willing to give up everything in pursuit of? What is it that's so valuable to you that you would set everything else aside? What the writer is saying to us is that nothing should be more treasurable to you than wisdom and knowledge and insight. You've got to prize it. You've got to be hungry for it. Not only do you have to prize it, but the Bible is very clear about the fact that in addition to prizing it, we also have to listen. We have to listen. We have to look to God's word. We have to listen to him speak to us. It says in Psalm verse, uh, chapter 19, verse 7, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. How do we get wisdom? How do we find it? By listening to what God has said. It's interesting how often I talk to people who, you know, will go, well, I'm trying to make a big decision. You know, I'm trying to decide what I should do with my career. I'm trying to decide if I'm supposed to go to the mission field. I'm trying to decide if this is the guy I'm supposed to marry. Or, if this, you know, like there's all these decisions we're trying to make in the gaps between the declarative, you know, statements of Scripture. And people will go, I'm trying to figure out what God wants me to do. And I say, well, how are you trying to figure that out? And they go, well, I'm just sort of waiting for God to speak to me in the wind, you know. I look up at the cloud formations, and I'm, I'm, I kind of feel like I maybe saw a puppy there, so maybe that thing's, I'm supposed to adopt a dog, I'm not sure. I'm kind of looking in the alphabet cereal, and I'm trying to figure out what God's saying, but there aren't enough vowels, so it kind of seems like God is mumbling to me. I want to look at people and go, why are you looking to the clouds? Why are you looking to the cereal bowl? Why are you listening to the wind when God has already spoken through his word? Why would we look other places when God has already revealed himself, where his spirit speaks to us in our inner being? Now, part of the way that we find wisdom is to prize it, but a key part of finding wisdom is to attune your ear and your heart to the voice of God. The voice of God is revealed in his word, and the voice of God revealed through community, the voice of God revealed through his spirit in your inner being. Are you listening to his voice? Not only do we have to prize it, not only do we have to listen for it, but we also have to ask for it. James is very clear about that. In James chapter 1, verse 5, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. I love the story of Daniel. Uh, you might be familiar, or you might not, but in, uh, in Daniel chapter two, Nebuchadnezzar has this terrible dream, and he, uh, he's very troubled by it, and so he goes to all of his wise men and his enchanters and his soothsayers and his magicians. He says, I want you to tell me the dream and give me its interpretation. And they go, ah, uh, time out. That's not how it works, right? If you've ever been around a fortune teller or a palmer or whatever, you have to give them a little bit of information, and then they tell you what you want to hear in light of that, right? So the magicians and the enchanters, they look at Nebuchadnezzar, they go, that's not how it works. We can't tell you your dream. And he goes, I knew it. All you wise men and enchanters, you're all just frauds. You're fakes, so I'm going to kill you. If you can't tell me the dream and its interpretation, off with your heads. And they're like, no man can do this thing. Nobody can tell you the dream and its interpretation. So he goes, that's it. Kill all the wise men, right? So Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, he goes to Daniel's house, you know, and he knocks on the door. And Daniel opens it up, and he goes, hey, Dan, uh, good to see you today. Hey, I'm sorry to tell you this, but I got to stab you. So if you could uh, just hold still for a second. And Daniel's like, what's up? And he goes, yeah, Nebuchadnezzar said all the wise men and enchanters, they all have to die. So I got, I got my sticker here. Uh, you want to, you're going to face me while we do this? Or maybe you turn around and just kind of get it over with. And Daniel's like, wait, 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 what's happening? He says, well, the wise men couldn't tell Nebuchadnezzar his dream and its interpretation. And so Nebuchadnezzar says, you have to die. Daniel says, give me a minute. Daniel, in Daniel chapter two, he goes to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his friends, and he says, my friends, we have to consult God. 
We have to lean upon the mercy of God, he says. They go to prayer. They pray and they ask God, reveal to us what we don't know. And God gives Daniel both the dream and its interpretation. When he goes back before Nebuchadnezzar, the first thing Nebuchadnezzar asks is, can you tell me the dream and its interpretation? And Daniel actually, he says the exact wrong thing you want to say to a guy who's already signed your death warrant. But Daniel looks at Nebuchadnezzar and says, no, no man can, right? Wrong answer. But he goes on to say this. No man can tell you your dream and its interpretation But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has revealed to your servant the dream and its interpretation. Are you here this morning and you're looking for wisdom? Are you here this morning and you're confounded about the path that's in front of you? Are you trying to figure out how to take what you know and put it into practice, or do you feel like you just keep jumping over the hole and banging your head into the wall? Because part of the key is you have to value wisdom. Part of the key is you have to attune your ears and your heart to the voice of God and the ways in which his voice is revealed. Part of the key is that you have to ask for it. Ask God for wisdom, James says. I love the prayer in Colossians. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul prays this for the church. He says, from the day we heard, this is Colossians 1, 9. From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That's a cool prayer. I'm going to ask God to give you the knowledge of his will in spiritual wisdom so that you can walk in a way that's pleasing. We have to ask God. We have to prize wisdom. We have to attune our hearts and our ears to his voice in the places where it's revealed. And lastly, and most importantly, the ways in which we get wisdom, the the primary way we get wisdom, is in looking at Christ. And you might say, well, what what do you mean by that? Well, the Bible makes it really clear that Jesus is the wisdom of God made flesh. Think about that for a second. We know that Jesus is the savior of mankind. We know that he's God in the flesh, that he came to earth to take the sin of mankind upon himself. He died on the cross on our behalf, shed his blood, rose from the dead, and then extends to us by his grace resurrection life. We get that Jesus is a savior. But what we sometimes miss is that in the life that Jesus lived, he demonstrated for us perfect humanity as well. He demonstrated for us how to live a life where you never fail to glorify God in thought, word, deed, or attitude, where you live both discerning what is best in every circumstance and always having the strength of character to act in obedience to that knowledge. Jesus did that every moment of every day. I know it's cliche, but that whole uh, WWJD thing, right, with the bracelets and the bumper stickers and the billboards and the whatever, I I know that we kind of set that aside because it, it got a little overused. But the question, what would Jesus do, is actually a very helpful question. Because when I'm confounded about what to do in my family or what to do in my marriage or what to do in my vocation or what to do with my money or what to do with my time, what to do with the gifts that God has given me, what to do in my relationships, when I'm confounded, it is the perfect first question, what would Jesus do here? How would Jesus respond to this? Because Jesus is the wisdom and the glory of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23 says, well, 22, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Colossians chapter 2, speaking of Jesus again in verse 3, says, Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Not even some of the treasures. 
It doesn't say that some of God's wisdom is hidden in Christ. It says all of God's wisdom is hidden in Christ. So we prize wisdom. We attune our hearts and our ears to God's voice where it's revealed, right? We pray and ask God to give us direction, and we look to Jesus. Hebrews said it again and again. Look to Jesus, and in your view of Christ, your life will be reoriented. Now, there's a call for us to get wisdom by focusing on Jesus, who is the very wisdom of God. But note this, there's also a warning in the book of Proverbs, right at the beginning. In the first seven verses of chapter one, the the writer Solomon, he sort of introduces why he's laying these Proverbs down. But then in the verses following, there are two warnings, and I don't want us to miss them this morning. Flip with me to Proverbs chapter one. In Proverbs one, Solomon says this, in verse eight, He says, hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood, let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole, like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods, we shall fill our houses with plunder, throw in your lot among us, and we will all have one purse." My son did not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. And such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. The first warning we see here in the book of Proverbs at the beginning is that we must not turn away from the wisdom of God and to the wisdom of man. We must not turn away from the wisdom of God and to the wisdom of the crowd. And that's a hard thing for us because as Americans, we're all about the wisdom of the crowd. That's what the democratic system's all about, right? That if the most people vote for it, it must be right. And what the writer, to, the, the writer of Proverbs here is saying is that sometimes the crowd is wrong. That there are going to be times where crowds of people will go, hey, we have a way for you to get rich quick. We have a way for you to put a lot of money in your purse. We have a, a way for you to advance very rapidly. And we love that too, don't we? We don't like to wait. We want to be satisfied rapidly. We want our hamburgers in 30 seconds or less or we'll go to Carl's Jr. across the street, right? I shouldn't have talked about Carl's Jr. I know you're already struggling. It's fine. We don't want to wait. And the writer says there will be crowds of people that will come to you and say, join up with us. We know the right way. The writer says, don't turn away from the wisdom of God to the wisdom of men. Why? Because those men with all of their plots and their schemes, with all of their plans, they don't know any more about life than you do. And the way and the path that they would lead you on is actually a snare for their own feet. It's a trap that draws their own blood They're working to ensnare their own lives. Don't turn toward them. Do not turn away from the wisdom of God, which is perfect and true and right, and turn to the wisdom of the crowd. There are lots of examples in the world in which we live in which there are large crowds of people serving only themselves, serving only their interests, serving only their bank accounts, serving only their safety, serving only their skin color, serving only whatever. And in those moments, we have to turn to Christ, the wisdom of God, and not to the wisdom of the crowd, because the crowd is wrong. He says, don't turn away. That's the first warning. The second warning goes further. Back to Proverbs chapter one. It says this in verse 20. 
It's personifying wisdom again. It says, Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks, How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? Right now, uh, in our teaching team meeting this week, somebody pointed out, Wait, I probably need to define the idea of simplicity here. Because being simple is actually like a, like a good thing in our culture today. People who've like dialed back their lives, they've gotten rid of all the extras. So people are living in these tiny little houses and they go to the bathroom out by a tree or whatever. Like, that's not the kind of simplicity it's talking about, right? It's not talking about a favorable kind of simplicity. The word simple here could just as easily be translated stupid or idiotic, right? So wisdom is calling out in the streets, how long will the stupid love being stupid? And that's a great question, right? Wisdom says, how long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded, because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices." It's a heavy warning here in Proverbs chapter one. What's it saying? It's saying, be warned, don't turn away from the wisdom of God to the wisdom of the crowd. And secondly, don't become satisfied or content in your foolishness. Don't become complacent or plug up your ears when God is trying to counsel you. Because there are times in our lives where we don't like the counsel of God, right? There are times in our lives where the spirit of God or the word of God is convicting us of sin. And we don't like what God is saying and so we stop up our ears. We plug our ears. And we go, I don't want to hear it. God reaches out to us and we knock his hand away. If you're complacent or if you're satisfied in the place you are, there's a real danger here of no longer being able to hear the conviction of the spirit of God. And that's a serious warning. That if you knock God's hand away, if you plug up your ears, if you turn away from his wisdom, there is a point where he will stop speaking to you until you turn back to him. There is a thing in Amos that's called a famine of hearing. Amos chapter 8. Amos chapter 8, also a warning. Amos 8.11 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. Now you might look at that and say, well, that seems kind of harsh. It seems harsh that God would laugh at our calamity or that he wouldn't help us in our time of trouble. But the reality is that what God is doing in those moments is simply giving us what we've asked for. If we repeatedly say, God, I don't want your help. I don't need your help. I want to do it myself. I want to do it my way. I want to fill up my bank account. I want to go the direction I want to go. I want to say the things I want to say. There is a point where God will let you do it your way. The trouble with that is that your way is a, is a snare for your own feet. Proverbs will also say there's a way that seems right to mankind, but the end thereof is death. You've probably all met people, I certainly have, some of them even people that are in vocational ministry, pastors, who've had these affairs, extramarital affairs, and you talk to them and you go, how, did you, how do you justify this? And they go, well, I just do what I want to do, and I just sort of hope God's going to sort it out. And I go, but don't you, don't you feel convicted about it? 
And they go, well, no, not really. And you go, how is it possible for someone who knows God, who knows his word, who knows a lot of stuff about Christianity, how is it possible for a person who knows a bunch of christian stuff to live such an ineffective life? And the key is that it happened progressively. Over time, God said, you know what? These letters you're writing aren't good. And they tuned him out. You know, these websites you're visiting aren't good. And they tuned him out. You know, these meetings you're having, they aren't good. And they tune them out, and they tune them out, and they tune them out, and they stop up their ears, and they knock away the hand of God, and they get to a place where they no longer feel the conviction of the Spirit of God. Be warned this morning, church. Take this warning on the chin, just like me. Don't turn away from the wisdom of God to the wisdom of men or to crowds. And also, don't become complacent. Don't be one of those simple ones who loves being simple, who's just satisfied. Can I say, there is a true sense of spiritual discontent that should be present in the life of every disciple, right? Spiritual discontent in the life of a disciple is an earmark of spiritual health. There should never be a time where you and I look in the mirror and go, you know what, I think I got this discipleship thing all wrapped up. I'm pretty good at it, I gotta say, right? No, I, I think I have the ability to look in the mirror and go, hopefully I'm following Jesus more faithfully today than I was yesterday, but I've still got a long way to go. I have not obtained the goal, right? We never want to be at a place where we stop up our ears and we say, no, I'm going to do it my way. Because if you do, you can get to a place where God will let you have your way. And your way is a trap. In fact, it says at the end of Proverbs chapter 1, in the very last two verses, Proverbs chapter 132 says, the simple are killed by their turning away. And the complacency of fools destroys them. That's the end of that path. Death and destruction. But look at this in 33. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Whoever listens to me will dwell secure and be at ease without dread of disaster. That's the proverbial life, to dwell secure and be at ease without dread of disaster. By the way, it doesn't say that disaster won't come. It doesn't say that bad things won't happen, but what it says is that in the midst of disaster, you'll be able to dwell secure. You'll be able to be at ease. You know, our our good friend and brother, uh, elder in this church, Jim Wright, uh, went to be with Jesus uh, uh, two weeks ago, and we had his memorial service on Friday. And I I only just kind of started to get to know him. I've only been here for a year. And when I, the first conversation I had with Jim, when I first met him, he said, hey, I don't know how much time we're gonna have together because I'm going to be with Jesus at some point and I'm not sure when that's gonna be. And so our entire friendship over the last year was built around the idea that there was this sort of ticking clock that he knew he was gonna be going to heaven. He had this cancer that was gonna kill him and he didn't know when, right? But I can tell you that over the course of the year and the times we interacted together, Jim Wright was a man who was dwelling at ease in the midst of disaster. He was resting secure, not in his own wisdom, not in the wisdom of the crowd, not in his power or in his knowledge, but he was resting secure in the wisdom of God found in Christ. And so this morning, if you're interested in that proverbial life, being able to dwell at ease, to rest secure, even in the midst of disaster, the only key is to prize wisdom. The only key is to listen and tune your heart and your mind to the voice of God, to call out and cry for wisdom in prayer, and to keep your eyes on Jesus, who is the wisdom of God personified. Don't turn away from the wisdom of God to the wisdom of men, and don't become complacent. Don't stop up your ears or knock away the hand of God. Listen to him. Discern what is best in any given situation. And then have the strength of character to live an obedient life 
in light of that knowledge. Would you pray with me this morning? God, I pray that you would stir in us a hunger, a passion, a desire for wisdom that passes our desire for gold or silver or treasure or any of the other things that might tempt us away. God, help us to listen for your voice, to prize wisdom, to look to Christ, and to keep our eyes on him. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.